Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men in their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It is another um, Man Up Monday or Man Up God's Way podcast. We're so excited for you to be here. Uh, We are uh, really excited about the guests that we have here tonight. I've got my host with me, uh, Mr. Fregosa. Fregosa, how are you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. It's glad to be back. Welcome back from vacation. Quick minute. Yeah, so I've been in California for three weeks. That was probably one of the longest stints I did. Um, Yeah, family. Went back Friends, home, huh? A little bit of work. Right. Went back home, yeah. Good Got some stuff done and back in the swing of things now, yeah. That's awesome. Well, glad you're back. We missed you over the last couple of weeks. It uh, doesn't run the same without you, that's for sure. Probably smoother. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anybody to pick on, you know. Well, I've got Ben most of the time, but uh, Ben's not here tonight, so we do get to pick on him quite a bit. So, But, um, yeah, I'm really excited. It's been a crazy couple weeks uh just had some crazy stuff going on in life in general and um with family got the kids i've got 12 year old twins and i'm 54 years old so uh that keeps me keeps me busy man i i keep telling people they're either gonna kill me or keep me young and i'm good with either one so um they're busy all over the place uh sports they're at camp this week uh, we sent them to this uh, really awesome camp called camp sharon here in missouri and they're there for the week. And so my wife and I actually have the house to ourselves. So Nice uh, yeah. change of pace. Yes, sure. it is. It is. She uh, she got home today. She she cleans a couple of houses, and she got home today. And I was like, well, guess what? I said, you got the house to yourself tonight. And she's like, thank God. <laughs> like she's, just, she's all, get out. She's like, plop on the couch, <laughs> turned on the TV. Nobody's going to talk to her. So she'll, uh, she'll enjoy that evening. So. But, yeah, folks, I'm really excited about our guest tonight. We have been playing, um, I guess you could play Internet Tag and Zoom Tag and Podcast Tag uh, for the last few weeks. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for joining us. This is Greg Monk, um, and uh, we're excited to have you here. Oh, man, it's my really it's my privilege to be hanging out with you guys tonight, man. Well, Thank you so much. Well, thank you for your patience to get you on here for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I ended up having a vacation. You had a vacation, and uh, we had some other stuff going on. It was just kind of kind of crazy. I, I don't think Satan wants us to have this conversation. I think that's all it was. <laughs> I bet. No, he doesn't. Well, good. Well, good. <laughs> well, before we get into your your new book that uh, that is yeah. out, uh, Greg, I'd really like to just hear your story. Um, the audience, you know, give the the audience kind of a, an idea of who you are. I, I always like to think that people, the, the, the more that they know you, the more that they will uh, want to get to know you and respect you and, and kind of dive into uh, the stuff that that you're, um, you're, you're promoting here as well as, uh, you know, just you as a pastor and an author. And um, even on your website, it calls mm-hmm. you a jarhead. So uh, we'd love to, hear, <laughs> love to hear those stories as well. So why don't you start off and just give us a little bit of your testimony um, you go, you can go as deep as you want, and um, uh, it's uh, it's all f- free for all here on the on the Man Up God's Way podcast. Uh, that's awesome, man. Well, well, I got a you know I got a crazy story, and you know that's what led me to write the book. And is the book's kind of done in three parts. You know, I'm a survivor, I'm a war fighter, and a peacemaker. And so, uh, I'll just start with the survivor part. You know, I um. Yeah. 
I had a I had a crazy childhood. You know, not like you know a lot of people have dysfunctional families, and uh, mine was pretty pretty hardcore dysfunction. <laughs> I uh, I had a dad who's an alcoholic, and uh, we I was born in Ohio, Cleveland, in the Parma area, and we moved out here in 1974. And so um, we moved out here. My dad had a job, and uh, he never stopped partying, I guess, from college. You know, he, he went, he played football at Wake Forest, got hurt and then, uh, finished out of Wake Forest there and then got a job and moved his, his boys. I have two brothers, an older, two older brothers, um, Derek and Rob. And then, uh, so it was three boys and we had a house there in Orange County, California, moved out to by Huntington beach called Fountain Valley. And I uh, grew up there and at first it was, you know, normal, pretty normal. And, uh, California life. My mom loves the beach and went to the beach a lot. And, but then you started to, my dad was an alcoholic and drinking, uh, caused a lot of issues in his whole, his life personally. And then drunk driving started to take place. Mm. And then he started to get, you know, one drunk driving, five drunk driving. Then he's, you know, six, eight, ten drunk drive. You know, his total, Drunk drivings were 14. He got uh, 14 DUIs. Holy cow. And, yeah, and that's just, that, that's just the start. <laughs> and then, wow. Then, then, and then, so the first person, you know, I ever hit was my dad, so he wouldn't drive drunk. And, you know, most of the, a lot of the times he was pretty cordial. But then there was times when he'd get really drunk and, you know, he wanted to drive. He always wanted to drive, obviously. And, um, one, one time I'm like, dad, you can't drive and took his keys and he's like, you know, I think you're tough in my face, you know? And, and then, and then he, he pushes me and then I push him and he hits me. And then I just, you know, roundhouse him, knock him out, you know, drag him, you know, to his bed. I'm like, you know, 12, 13 at this, at this age. And, wow. um, but just, yeah, just, just, just the craziness of that. And then, then my dad got into, you know, smoking pot and then he got into cocaine then he got into freebasing and then meth. And, and so, and then he started, you know, he's hanging out with the guys that are involved with that. He had a buddy um, that he was running drugs with, the drug dealer guy. And uh, one time he stole a Porsche from him. Oh and goodness. so he was at home. <laughs> yeah. He stole oh. a Porsche from him. And so I, uh, I was sleeping at night. This is when I, I was younger even than when I first hit him. I was probably 10, 11. And I was just in my, in sleeping. I didn't know there was a guy on the couch there to protect the family. He had a shotgun. My dad had a 357 by his bedside. My mom was out of town back East. And, and, uh, I get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, make my way to the bathroom. And I made, I guess I made too much noise. I startled the guy on the couch. He comes over shotgun, cocks it to the side of the head. I pissed my pants and the light comes on and he's like, Hey, just go back to bed. I go back to bed and shut my door and put my little toy box in front of it. Like it's going to do anything. And I just, I'm in bed the whole night, just cannot sleep. And then the sunlight comes up and, and uh, I finally fall asleep. And I remember waking up that, that, that morning and walking out and then, my dad and him obviously talked and like they're shaking their head at me like I'm some kind of tough kid. But that like that that kind of thing just scarred me and it, it just wow. you know, it the story gets worse from there. It's like it it um it's just like just I just recounting these stories, you know, just telling you guys, it's just like it's unbelievable the just the level of pain 
um, associated with them. And then I, I, the fear that that caused me as a kid, you know, and then I was, when I was 13, uh, my dad took me, uh, to his friend's place where he was staying. And, um, he's like, Hey, I want you to come with me to go pick up something. And so I go with him and they're in the car and we drive to Costa Mesa somewhere and pull over and we're waiting like 15 minutes, you know, it's all dark and lights are out. And then a car pulls up and he gets out and pick up, pick up, you know, picks up some kind of package, puts it under his seat when he gets back in. You know, even at that age, I'm like, okay, this is like total, he's picking up some drugs or something. And I'm, <laughs> like, right. and I'm like, hey, dad, well, what's that? You know, he's like, oh, these are just some plans, you know, some business plans. And I'm like, oh, under, you had to put them under the seat, <laughs> you know, and like not, not saying anything, but saying anything, something kind of thing. And so we drive to this place in Fontbonne called Los Caballeros and where his drug dealing partner had a, had a, had a place and I would go there with them and just jump off the high dive and hang out by myself and do all sorts of crazy stuff. But at this, this time I was sitting on the patio just hanging out and then they're all in partying and you know, a bunch of girls and that, it's not my mom obviously. And, and, uh, and they're, you know, doing cocaine and then all of a sudden knock on the, on the window, you know, the sliding glass door opening. Like, hey, why don't you come, come in here and hang out with us. So I'm over there, you know, I'm in seventh grade, 13. And he's like, Hey, why don't you do some cocaine with us? You know, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, dad, you know, at that time it was like, it was like, you know, say no to drugs was big. And I was, you know, I was born in 70. So I was, you know, 83, this was 83. And, and then I'm like, and then they're kind of, you know, cheering me on these adults. And I, I do lines with my dad, you know, and all these people. And Jeez. for the first time, the first time, first time I did cocaine, um, was with my dad there. Oh my and, gosh. Uh, yeah, and so it's like the the you know the the parent child relationship was just totally fractured at this point, and it it and then my mom and then so he as you know I could I could talk to you guys for hours about the the details, but as he got worse, he started getting arrested more. He started spending time more away from home. So as his addiction grew, his times away would grow. Mm. So it was it kind of coincided. So he would be gone for the weekend, come back, you know, and rehabilitate on the couch and then be gone again for four days. And so two days, four days, five days, a week gone, you know, just kind of in and out. And we you know we couldn't pay for rent. So we would get evicted. We've got evicted four times. And my mom started working full time at uh, the May company and children's department. And she became a manager there working there and um, just to support us with food and everything. And so as I got, and then my, my brother, Rob, uh, Derek went to college and my, my brother Rob was older. And as I just got older, then I got into high school and my life became about football and my friends and my dad was gone. My mom was working, you know, total last key kid and doing my own thing, writing my own notes, registering myself for school, working, paying for myself. I just not my, my, I couldn't rely on my parents. Wow. I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't have that reliability on my parents. And so my friends became my life. And then, uh, I would spend a lot of time at friends' houses and eat there and they would be happy to let me stay at their house. They didn't, they knew something was wrong, but I never really talked about it. I never talked about what was going on. I never talked about this. I just was doing my thing. And, but people knew home wasn't the best. And so they, uh, my friends' families took me in, you know, they were awesome. And, and it was, it was great, but. You know, just I would come home at times, and my dad would be there. And then one time I walk in, and and there's all these, you know, we had we had the 
my, we're from Cleveland, right? So we have the room, the living room that nobody sits in, right? Right, exactly. So, yeah. All plastic. Just, and, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if you had those. but uh, like, old go- Yeah, old gold with plastic on it and <laughs> dark wood. Yeah. And so we walked in. You know, that, that was for company when, you know, right. when, 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 when people would just show up, right? Yeah, and so, it, it had the candy people, had the candy dish with the candies that it solidified <laughs> to the side of the candy dish. Yeah. Can they, that's for company. That's yeah, for company. So, anyway, right. so I, I walk in and man, this living room, it looks like a the crack house, like just food and boxes. And just, I don't know. I, you know, I was only gone like a day, I think it was. And then just all these people that in the house that can't speak English and, you know, just, and they're just shooting up heroin. Now, so my dad progressed, progressed from, you know, Coke, free basin, smoking cocaine. And then, you know, doing meth and then wow. heroin. And so they're shooting up heroin and I'm just like, I fly off the hand. Now I'm, you know, I'm a sophomore, I think in high school and, and I just, uh, go off, you know, I'm like, get the hell out of my house, you know, kicking around there and they're like, no habla English. I'm like, no habla my, you know, whatever, right. you know, yeah, we didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian home at all. <laughs> we didn't go to church. And so, and, uh, my, every adjective and verb before the Marine Corps was a cuss word. So, right. <laughs> uh, you know, getting, get, getting everyone out of this house. And then my dad just like comes up, like, you know, a scene out of, you know, the big Lebowski, you know, like, Hey man, what's up? Right. Chill out, bro. Like and my oh. dad just sit here and I, I put him down in the seat. He's just totally lit up on heroin. And, um, and I get everyone out of the house and just have this kind con- conversation with my dad and, you know, the parent child conversation that we've had so many times. And, and I just said, dad, you, you got to stop this, man. What are you doing? You know, and then, then, you know, the, I can't tell you how many drunk or drug induced, you know, apologies and it'll all stop and it'll never happen again. And, you know, it's just, I describe it as when you're a kid of addiction, a kid who grows up with an addicted parent, right? It, it's just like, it's a constant them, them breaking trust in some way with you and then you forgiving them. And, and I call it, I got, I, you would, they would, you would stick your arms out to them and you would embrace them and they would cut your arms off. And right. it just happened over and over again. Then it got to a point where I started, my heart started getting hard and I started hating my dad. I mean, I'm not talking like, just like, uh, I don't like you. It was, I hate you, you know? Mm. And, and I, um, and then, you know, I, we would, uh, I was the youngest of the boys. And so we would get subpoenas, you know, people would come to the house with the sheriff. And I remember one time I was, I was even younger. I was probably seven or eight. A subpoena came to the door. My dad and I were the only ones in the house. And he comes to me, uh, right away. And he, and he said, he comes to me and he goes, Hey, Hey, I'm not here. Whatever you say, I'm not here. And, you know, I opened the door and that uh, there's a sheriff there and, you know, with the, and, 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 uh, they're serving a subpoena with another guy. And, and so and like, is your, is your dad here? You know? And I'm like, you know, and I don't kind of, I don't say anything. It's like, you know, son, it's okay to tell us, you know, is your father here? And I kind of opened the door and just motioned them in. Mm-hmm. And my dad's trying to runs off the back. He's trying to climb over the fence. We have like a, a fence. Part of it is on a corner of like a back of a Seven Eleven shopping center, you know, kind of thing, the alley, the back alley. And right. Exactly. Um, He's trying to escape, and there's a cop sitting right there waiting for him, and he's, like, defeated, jump stuck over the wall. The guys come in. They arrest him. You know, he's walking back, and I'm by the front door still watching all this. And then 
my dad um, looks at me and just goes, "Man, you're a piece of shit." Oh, and I can't, I, I can't, I can't believe you let him in. What a mess! You know? And it, uh, and then and then my and then the cops are like, "Oh no, Mister Monk, you're the pizza." You know, just like but those, you know, those kind of moments like just really, really impact you. You know, right. as a kid, and then it just it went on. Then there was a, a, another time where he wanted me to stay home from school to do coke with him, and I did a line with him. And those are the only two times I ever did did cocaine. And then so, uh, you know. The real another one, the thing, the thing of all those things, the ones that stuck with me the worst though, are probably the least, the least, you know, graphic ones were, it was my, he missed my 12th, 11th, my 11th, 12th and 13th birthday. And, you know, it seems so you say that and it's like, it's such a, you know, birthdays are such a big deal as a kid. Right. And when I talk, the one, the time I get emotional and all that other stuff I told you, it's usually this time. It's crazy to think about. Like, but I remember missing him. I'm missing my 11th birthday, and then he comes in, comes in all drunk, and you know, it's just like whiskey and bourbon. I can't stand it to this day. You know, I, I just because of that smell. Just that smell. And he yeah. would just, uh, <clears throat> yeah, he just yeah. come in my bed apologizing, and then he would wake up and then take me to breakfast and take me to the family fun center to play arcade games and a and a go kart. And then, you know, I'd be happy from, you know, just buying my, buying my, buying your love. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. 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 And so uh, then I would, you know, I'd forgive him. And then I remember the next year, like, you know, it can't happen again. Sure enough, misses it, climbs into bed. Well, the third year, like, you know, we're going to Disneyland, you know, we're in Disney right here in, you know, Orange County. So we're going to Disneyland and okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be, be by at 10. So I remember I'm riding my bike up and down the block. Waiting for my dad. And then I remember my mom telling me, oh, like, man. he'll be here at 12. And then I'm riding my bike, you know, and so excited. And then he'll be here at 3. And he never showed up, man. Jeez. My mom, I remember, like, oh. trying to trying to do uh, um, presents and that. But those those things just, like, they scar you. Like, right. They just they make your heart so callous. I can hear it. And, your, um, I can hear it in your voice now. Oh, like, I, oh, it's, still, yeah. it's still like it was yesterday. Oh my gosh! It's just unbelievable. And I, like I tell you, every I, those I, I almost hate talking about the birthday. Uh, and then of all the things I tell you, it's like it's the birthdays that got me right. The right. Most. And and then and then my and then we get phone. My my mom would say, "Hey, can you go pick up your dad?" And my brothers would be like, "All right, great, come with us." And like, what are we doing? And you know, I was like twelve. They're they're older. And I grew up. Derek was uh, you know fourteen, fifteen. My brother Rob is like five, six years older. He was you know eighteen. So we're gonna go pick up dad. And then we'd get to this place called the Hop in Irvine, owned by the Righteous Brothers. And they, my dad be hammered, drunk. They'd call us. And then my brother's like, hey, go get them. I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm. He's like, we'll give you a sherbet, uh, rainbow sherbet ice cream if you go get them. I remember oh going goodness. into the hop, 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 getting my dad. And like he's oh, it's my son. And walking him out to the car. And then, you know, as long as we got rainbow sherbet ice cream, I was happy. And yeah, then, okay, you know, yeah. then there's this, you know, then there's the times where it just progressed where, like, when I was more in high school and he'd be drunk. And just playing games with them, right? Like he would try to, I'd hear him try to get his keys and he's hammered. And then I would, you know, and I'd walk out the, run out the back door, run around the side yard, come out the front. He'd open the door and I'd be right there. I'm like, sorry, pops, you're not driving tonight. And he's like, he's defeated. Like everywhere I go, you're right there. I can't believe it. And then maybe try to go out the, the back door around the side. And I'd, I would come out the front and come to the side and hear him try to mess with the gate. And just these, these little things. And I would just laugh. That you know, like, and he would open the door finally and be like, "Oh my gosh, 
everywhere I go, you're right there. And, and, but it's just the tragedy of, of my, you know, my, my, my growing up. And then so what, how that translated to me, like moving on to high school is I just had a super independent attitude towards life, you know, and I was, and then one, at one time he had become a Christian. And so for 30 days he was sober. Oh wow! And then we went to church, we, we went to church every Sunday. And then 30 days later, obviously, you know, again, it was about that 12, 13 mark, uh, 30 days later, he was back doing drugs. And then for me, that's like, Oh, God's just for weak people. Instead of shooting up heroin, he's shooting up God. And, you know, that didn't do it. So now he's just next in the next drug. And so my head, I had this like twisted attitude towards religion. And then like, it's just for weak people, right. you know, who can't help me, you know, help themselves. So I, I would make fun of Christians and, but I had a friend that would, uh, take me to church all the time. His dad was Mark. His name is Mark Davis. His dad was Gene Davis, Olympic wrestler in the 76 Olympics. And he was part of, he was part of, um, Appleton action and ran the wrestling program there. And, was on U S wrestling and all this stuff. And, but they would take me to church and, uh, I went because I wanted to hang out. They always would go to pizza afterwards and they would get a, sometimes they let my buddy Mark and I have a large pizza to ourselves and, uh, how mm. what a big deal that was. And then I'd go on to the youth events and be the kid and the, the all nighters in the back of the bus trying to kiss girls and, you know, causing trouble. And, and it just was, uh, then I got to high school and football became my life. Really, uh, I love football. Like it was, I love the discipline and the challenge and the push. And even though life was chaotic at home, I, I knew I had like school is, I, I couldn't do drugs and I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, be like my dad and I had to do something different. So, but you know, I, I drank, we had, my life became at that time became, you know, partying with alcohol, football and girls, right? That was my, that was my whole life. And then, uh, I was dating a girl from another high school and, um, uh, she got pregnant and I remember it was my sophomore year. I was 15 and I was lifting with my buddies and I, uh, my, my friend Reza, he, he tried to do this thing where I know if you ever guys ever lifted, but bench pressing, I was bench pressing. And then there's a little, your, your legs are kind of separated. There's a bench between your legs. Right. Well, you, you would kind of drop a curl bar and say, Hey, look, and it looks like it's going to hit your private parts, right? but it doesn't, it hits the bench. <laughs> well, my knucklehead friend didn't measure it right. And he drops it and it just goes right on the, just right on my, on the, on the family jewels. Right. And I, and I dropped the weight and I'm just like, Oh, and I, and I just, I snapped. I have one of, I have one of these moments in, in, in my book, I describe them more where it's like, the pit of Shehol. It's like this evilness that is awakened. Um, that I just, well, I went crazy and it was way beyond it. That was a presenting issue of something more in me that was going on. And I, no one can console me. My best friends, you know, my buddies I, that I, I, they're my, they're my family. I was just thinking so much of the coach kind of is like realizes there's something more to it and takes me into the equipment room and I start talking to them and, and I'm just like, you know, hey, what's going on, Greg? And I'm like, stupid Reza, you know, did this. And it's like, no, what's going on? You know, realizing there's more going on. And I'm just like, well, coach, man, I, don't, I just got to tell you, man, I don't know if I want to live anymore. And I just, just, just share with him for the first time. For the first time in my life, I share with somebody else outside of my family what's really going on at home. Mm. And just like my dad's an alcoholic. He's a drug addict. He's. You know, we, I can't afford, I have to work as I bus at clean jumper and to buy food. And I, 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 um, we've been evicted and 
you know, my girlfriend's pregnant and, uh, I just, I, I don't want to live anymore. Dad. And, and, and he's just like, I just can't believe, I just, I can't believe all that's going on in your life. I never would have known Greg by how hard you work. Cause mm. I was telling you football, football was my, it was like, it was my thing. And well, that was and, the, that was your avenue uh, of escape. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, and then I excelled at it too. Like that, I, I, what well, my junior and senior year, especially. And, um, yeah, so we have, I have this, this moment where, you know, I, I admit to my, this coach and he's just really awesome. And he's like, Hey, what are you doing for food? And I go, you know, I, my mom does the best she can, but you know, I eat peanut butter sandwiches and a cup of soup and, uh, chili, Hormel chili and mac and cheese. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, let me give you, so he, you know, the co- all the change in the Coke machines is the football. So he gives me this big bag of like quarters to go buy, you know, Hey, go buy food for yourself. And, and I remember I went to Pup and Taco. It's like Taco Bell. Um, out here right after it was such a big deal, but just a small little no. But that 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 was my that was my life, and I I was a pretty um, you know nice guy. I was pretty. I, I like to get along with people. I wasn't super, but I got in a lot of fights. Not because I was starting my friends. I had some idiot friends that had big mouths, and and I was and I started getting bigger. I was just you know I'm six three. And then as a junior, I was, you know, uh, 205 and then 215, 220 as a senior, you know, so I was pretty big dude and, and liked to fight and enjoyed that, you know, right. never, never, and, but never really got mad until somebody would like connect with me or hit me. And then I just, <laughs> get really upset. Right. <laughs> things would, things would, things wouldn't end well for the other people. So that, that was, that was my life. And then at, at that progression about the stories I was telling you, and some of them were all over the place and timing, but it just was hard. And I, and I really, and it, as, as my dad started getting worse, he was, as he was gone more, then it became months. He was gone a month and he'd come back. Then he was gone two months. And then at one time he left and he just didn't come back and we didn't know where he was. Mm-hmm. And so that was my senior, that was my, <clears throat> Senior year, he was gone a lot, and then um, so how the Marine Corps kind of plays into all this is uh, I was watching uh, me and my buddies were watching Full Metal Jacket that movie. Oh, that's great! Yeah, and my friend and my friend had just just watched uh, just was talking to a recruiter, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to go by and talk to my recruiter. You want to come with me?" And uh, I went there and. We would just watch Full Metal. It's you know Full Metal Jacket. That's a hardcore movie. Yes, it know, is. Yeah, for, yeah. Make for, you think twice about reason. joining. You know, it's funny. Yeah, I yeah but this episode is sponsored by Ordinary Angels. This new movie is based on a remarkable true story. Ordinary Angels centers on Sharon, played by Hilary Swank, a fierce but struggling hairdresser in small town Kentucky, who discovers a renewed sense of purpose when she meets Ed, played by Alan Richson a widower working hard to make ends meet for his two daughters. With his youngest daughter waiting for a liver transplant, Sharon sets her mind to helping the family and will move mountains to do it. What unfolds is the inspiring tale of faith, everyday miracles, and ordinary angels. Check out the trailer at OrdinaryAngels.movie and look for it in theaters in October. I have a very similar story, but mine was Heartbreak Ridge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I saw Heartbreak Ridge but, and went and joined. <laughs> and I and I and I remember like who 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 in their right mind would watch 
you know, full metal jacket and join <laughs> right. the Marine Corps. It's like, you gotta, you gotta be out of your mind. But for whatever reason, we get to the recruiter and I'm like, Hey, is there any wars going on? He's like, no, there's nothing going on, you know? And so I joined the Marine Corps that, that spring of my senior year and just, and we joined the buddy program. I come home and tell my mom and she's like, what the, like, why were you crazy? You know, I'm like, my well, mom, I, I, I just got to do something different, you know? And, and so, and then, uh, we were supposed to go into Marine Corps, uh, in March of 89. And so I graduated in 88, that, that June of 88. And so that fall, uh, I wanted to play football. So I, I went to Orange Coast College, a local community college here and I played football there. And my buddy, Adam, who I joined with, couldn't wait. So he didn't want to wait for the buddy program in March. So he went in in October and I was alone. Then my guys, I mentioned my dad at that time, he, we, he, he was gone and he, he didn't come back. And what I didn't know at that time is he was out in the streets of Santa Ana at first for three months. He was running drugs, just shooting, you know, uh, selling heroin and running drugs. And then another three months, he just was a homeless person bum on the, in the back of El Pollo Loco, uh, in Santa Ana, you know, just shooting up heroin, getting food out of trash cans. That's what is his life. And yeah, that's where it ultimately, ultimately took him. And so I, I left for the Marine Corps in March of 89 and uh, I was going to graduate from the Marine Corps boot camp in um, June, and uh, he missed my graduation from Marine Corps boot camp. And then my brother Rob was—I missed the wedding because I was—it was a week before I got out of the boot camp. So mm. I missed my. So my dad's first son got married, and he wasn't there because he was on the streets. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and so again, at this point, I didn't care for the man at all, and I hated him. I wanted nothing to do with him. So. I go to Marine Corps boot camp and I um, am in Marine Corps boot camp. If you carry the guide on, if you're the platoon leader, they call you the guide. Right. And so you're the, you're the guide. So hence the name of my book is called the guide. Mm. And, uh, uh, and, and there's another play on that word later on. Um, but I, so I was the guide in Marine Corps boot camp and uh, we carried that guide on flag everywhere. And I, and I excelled at boot camp. I loved it, man. It was like hell week in football, right? Like hell week where the way it used to be in football, where it's like actually two weeks and you felt like you wanted to die and you right. couldn't walk, you know? For right. the, I don't um, think they can yeah, do that when, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, we did two days for two weeks, man. It was, right. it was, it was hell. I yeah. have to say, yeah. Yeah. I've so I was, I there. was a kind of, yeah, yeah, I was the kind of guy who was looking for a challenge, right? And so, I love boot camp. And so, right away, because of my, I, you know, I was tall. I was a squad leader, and then later on, right away, I became the guy in of uh, the platoon leader of the of boot camp. And I had a blast in boot camp, and there's, I have I have a bunch of stories that I won't kind of get into here. But just it was just great, and I had a great time. And there's there is one story though that kind of marked me I was it was third phase of boot camp we're getting ready to graduate and um we're marching on the parade deck like marines do you mentioned it before when we started you know like marines march yeah. a lot and, yes uh, they do and they look good yeah. doing it too <laughs> and uh we were I thought we were looking good but the drill instructors had another plan and so we were going to the pit and the pit was a 50 yard sand pit of the finest sand made by Marines for the past hundred years. It's uh, <laughs> it was crazy how fine the sound. So we start, we get in there and I stick my flag in the sand and uh, we are doing bins and thrusts and jumping jacks and 
uh, bins, you know, uh, like her burpees nowadays, they call them in CrossFit. And we are just, we're working. And then there's a big cloud of, for, after 40 minutes, we stop. And then drill instructor grabs the flag. And, you know, this is my, this represents a new life for me. This represents a new start for me. Right. It was a big deal. This is, that's my flag. I carry it with me wherever I, I go. It sits by my bed at night, you know, when I go to bed and the, and then the drone used to laugh that my hand was on the flag at night when I was sleeping. I mean, this is, this represents a lot. There's right. a lot to it. And, and then he picks up the flag and he's like, you are the worst platoon and other expletives you can imagine that drill instructor would say. And then he breaks the guide on oh, and he throws it on the no. ground. And, and so I'm just like, I'm in, you know, I'm hook, line and sinker, a jarhead rat at this point. I'm a, I'm a Marine. And I, I lunge for the flag. He's like, as you were guide. And then he goes, in fact, you know, you love the guide on so much. Why don't you lay down by it? And so I li- and he, he lays out the flag and I put my head by it and he tells the whole platoon to line up and he goes, I want everyone in the platoon to spit on the flag. And oh, wow. I'm looking at God, I'm sitting on the flag and I'm looking at guys with these, you know, eyes could kill you. Uh, they would laser beam them. I would, I would have killed them. And sure enough, guys, you know, most of the platoon, you know, spitting on the flag. So except for the, some of the squad leaders and a couple other guys, everyone was spitting on the flag. They walked by, spit all over me, all over the flag. All of a sudden, mm. the whole platoon is lined, lined up in front of us. The three DIs, two on my shoulders, you know, they they stand, they stand me up and then they tell me, spit on the flag, guys. And I'm like, no, sir. And they're like, spit on the flag, guy. No, sir. And then they, they, they put their knees in the back of my knees, push me to the ground pushing my head down. They're like, spit on the flag. And I'm like, no, sir. I'm, I'm screaming. And they're like, I will court martial your, you know what? Right. And you know, I will, I will kick you back. You spit on that flag. It's a direct order. You do not disobey your commanding officer. And then I'm like, no, sir. I won't spit on the flag. And then they pick me up. Like, that's why you're guy. And, 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 uh, and that's why you're guy. And it was this moment oh, where I was that like, is awesome. <clears throat> I was standing up for standing up for, uh, what I knew wasn't right, you know? And, and, uh, and I remember holding up that flag. I picked up the pieces and holding it up. And I'm like, guys, you know, this is our family. This is our country. This represents, you know, this is, this is who we are, you know? And, um, and, uh, you know, we are platoon 2025. This is a mo- motivating moment in my life for the, for the drill instructors. And for me, that really signified like this new start for me. And I really, I really wanted it, you know? And, and oh, so awesome. I'm a, Boot camp was great, but I was stationed at Camp Pendleton, and that's not far from where I lived. And so at this time, since my dad wasn't around, my mom moved back east to Ohio after the wedding, after my brother's wedding. He moved back to Ohio, and no word from my dad. And our house is, we don't have a home there in Fountain Valley anymore. And so I'm just staying with friends. And, wow. uh, I'm, uh, and you know, it's, I'm in the Marine Corps, and then on weekends, go out, hang out with my friends, and, uh, I'm dancing one night, and then there's a hot brunette. I know Kimberly. Uh, she's dancing, too. And I know her through just other friends and through high school, but we never dated. And uh, there, we were both my best friend. Uh, we were both dating best friends. So my best friend, Kenny, was dating his, uh, uh, off and on her best friend, Pam. And so they were always together, and we wound up meeting one night, and she took me home, and I was trying to hit on her and she had nothing to do with it. She had a boyfriend at the time. And next thing you know, we go on a trip all together, uh, to up to the mountains and, and I'm hanging out with her all weekend, trying to make my moves on her. And, 
it's not working. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then uh, we, we, on the way back home, we finally have a moment where we kiss each other. And, and then, um, and then I go back to the barracks that night. I remember, and I just, and I just remember she had a, some off and on boyfriend. I just said, Hey, if you ever want to go out, let me know. And that was, uh, that was, uh, gosh, that was 90, February of 90. It was Valentine's day. And, I remember she called the barracks. No one ever called the barracks for me because I was always, you know, out in Fountain Valley. And I remember they said, uh, hey, this girl named Kimberly called. And then I remember I said, oh, she's hooked. I'm going to marry this girl. <laughs> and I call her. I call her. We go to Valentine's. We go We go to Valentine's uh, day. And then ever since that moment, it just was, I, you know, I fell in love. She became my rock, my family, everything. And she had an experience, her family went to church every Sunday. And, um, but when I met her, she was not, you know, walking with the Lord. And, and, um, and so we were, you know, active sexually. And, and so that was February. It's July time frame, And she goes, you know, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, you know, the Jesus yeah, Revolution exactly. film just came out. Yeah. So that's right. It's right by our house. Wow. And, you know, so, and so I just chucked this church and then Greg Laurie would speak there on Monday night. And so she goes to a Bible study on Monday night and recommits her life to Christ and comes back. And she's like, we can't have sex anymore. I'm like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? This is what like, I was not, I was not, I was such a, I was such a scumbag at the time. Right. Just like I remember during those times, I got like, Hey, let's go to church. And there was a small church in, in Huntington beach that we would go to on Sunday nights. And I'm like, I remember telling her, hey, I like, try to hook up with her. Like, hey, God can wait. I remember, like, just reflecting on my life now, saying those words. I just like, oh, God, what a douchebag, you know. And, <laughs> but but she, and then and then I couldn't stay at her house anymore, and I was just on base. And we, she, she wasn't breaking up with me, but it was like, hey, I need that. She was she was getting herself right with, with the Lord. Mm. And that was prior, priority, and she was trying to, you know, she wanted me to be a part of her life, but. She was resetting her her perspective. And so at that same time, my brother Rob, my oldest brother Rob, went to a funeral and felt like the pastor at the funeral was talking right to him. And he committed his life. He became a Christian. Wow. And then, yeah, and so the Harvest Crusade, just the first Harvest Crusade after the Pacific Amphitheater was happening, Chuck Smith wanted to do a harvest, a summer harvest night. And then, so he had Greg speak at the Harvest Crusade. And, and it was that, and my brother Rob goes, hey, this, you know, there's the harvest crusades happening, you know, at uh, this time. And then, so right at that time in August, the Gulf War just started. Right. So Iraq, Iraq invaded Kuwait and, um, my unit was slotted to go. And I just remember thinking, Oh my God, I, I just meet the girl, of my dreams. And now I'm going to war. Thanks God. And you know, I didn't have a relationship with God, but I just remember being so angry. Right. Like, you know, I could, I could die over there. Then I started searching. I started asking questions. And then here, Kimberly recommits her life. And then my brother Rob becomes a Christian. He's like, hey, there's this guy, Greg Laurie. He's going to be teaching. And then Kimberly's like, oh, that's the guy on Monday nights. You're going to love him, Greg. And I'm like, so the fear of death actually got me to say yes. So oh, I, went to the har- I, went, I, went, I went to the harvest crusade. And it was Sunday through Thursday night. And then they ended it with a baptism at, 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 at the Pirates Cove there in Corona del Mar on Saturday. So I go Monday night and, you know, it's a cool music and great message. And I'm that night though. It's like, I, I see all these people go down 
And I just, at that time, it was more like I was more prideful that night. Like, wow. I, you know, like, I don't need this. You don't need this, Greg. You know, this is not, this is not the answer. You know, you don't need this. And so I just fought it. Right. And I didn't go down. And then afterwards they're, they were totally bummed. Like Kimberly and my brother and they're like, and we go get pie or something. And they're like, Hey, do you want to go tomorrow night? And something was drawing me. And I said, yes. So I went back Tuesday night and then Tuesday night I'm sitting there, same thing, music, great message. All these people come forward and I'm just like, Oh my God. I'm and then it, it was my insecurity. It was my, my, I'm not good enough, you know, like, Oh my God, all the things I've done wrong. How can God forgive me? You know, there's no way. Mm. And so I, I, I didn't go down like, man, talk about thick headed. And then the next night, same thing. They invite me. I say, yes, we go. It's the third night. And this time it's kind of my intellect, you know? And so Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I don't go down. I don't go down. I don't, I fight, I'm fighting. I'm wrestling with God big time. And, and then, uh, that another night it was, you know, you know, why would you allow me to have such a father like this? You know, God, why and the, the intellect night was me just saying, Hey, there's, there's all these, you know, you know, how about the pygmy in Africa? And you know, all the, all these, just all right. these excuses I was just giving out. And then that last night, the excuse was just like, you know, how could you, how could you, you know, allow this, to, this, this, this pain to happen in my life? You know, when I would cry out to it, I would as a kid, I remember writing in my journal, it was pro it was profane, but it was to God. And I was, I remember the crying out to God as a kid just to help my dad to be normal and to help him. And, and it just never happened. And so I was just carrying all this burden. And then Thursday night came, it was the last night and man, Greg gave a powerful message. I remember him saying just like nights before, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship and God wants to have one with you. And that just, that totally resonated with me because I wasn't a big religion guy. You know, I, 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 I believed in a I believed in a relationship and, all the things I've heard up to that point, I knew I, I respected Jesus. And I and, and he goes, Hey, remember that Jesus in the manger that we all love at Christmas? He grew up and you know, he 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 paid a debt that he didn't know for you for the sin that you committed. And 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 it just everything came full circle that night and I just remember all these people going forward and there was a one call, like the last call of the night, I'm just weeping before the Lord. And I just, and then I just oh, stand up. God. I just stand up in the middle of the aisle. And, and then Kimberly looked at me and goes, do you want me to go with you? And I said, no, I need to do this on my own. And I kind of walk, make, I'm in an aisle, like just thousands of people have come forward. And I'm just, and I'm like, I, and I remember just this day yesterday, it's like, Lord, if you can help me stop doing the things I know are wrong, I want to be your man, God. And I go, and I go, she take this, this anger away, God, please. Mm. take his pain away and I just like this is like yesterday I'm feeling it like it was yesterday I just like I don't want to I'm so tired of hating my father and then and, and then I remember saying God can you please don't let me down God please because everyone set me down in my life and that was the bottom line every night that I was there the Sunday Monday Tuesday Wednesday then there that Thursday all the excuses my my pride my insecurity my own sin my intellect Every single one of those things was all those things could be wrapped up into one excuse. And it was that it was this, it was, I was so afraid that God was going to let me down like everyone else. Mm -hmm. And could I really count? Could I really count on God? Could I really count on him? And wow. then I, dude, I, I was saved hardcore guys. Praise like, God. <laughs> yeah, it was like, so I was saved so hard like that. I just like, and I really, 
I didn't know what it, that meant to be born again. It's so fun. And then, so a- afterwards, anyway, I, they give me a Bible and I'm walking up and I'm just like, so like, I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders just to release that. And I, and in the book, I call it surrender. I just surrendered, man. I tapped out and so many guys I know are, are just like me. Even now I talk to guys in my ministry and, and it's just like, that's, I'm just like them, you know, I was right. a little more hard headed than them. It took me a little more time, but every excuse you could think of, I had, yeah, you know, exactly. I had, I had, I had pain and suffering. I had, I had trauma. I had all these things that I could, I could blame and just be an excuse to, for being a continued deadbeat. But that, you know, and, and I remember the next day I, I, a friend came over and buddy Kenny and he's like, Hey, I heard you're like born again now. And I, I said this, I go, no, I'm not born again. I just thought, I just decided to stop living for myself and start living for God. Mm. And that's, and, and, but it's so true because that's exactly what happened. And that's what it means to be born again. Right. It means yeah. that you die to your, you die to that old self and you, and you have this new life in Christ and the old, the old, you know, it's not spiritual birth. It's not a, mm. a, a birth by water. It's a spiritual birth. And I, be, and I was, a, I was born again and it was just, a, it just, it was awesome. And, and then, so, here I was, I was saved. Kimberly recommitted her life and, and then, uh, I'm ready. I'm getting ready to go to the Gulf war. Now my unit's going, I say goodbye to her. Um, we say goodbye. You know, I remember that first time we said goodbye yeah. and oh, I'm never going to see you again. And it was just like, uh, and I asked her to marry me and she said yes. And, and, and then it was so heart wrenching leaving, you know? And, but then I, we yeah. did, we didn't leave that day. And I went up saying goodbye to her like, four or five times before I, we finally left you and, and i have yeah. so much the same story because that's exactly what happened to me too we had the you know the the 24 hour you know no contact calls you know they'd call you up and then you'd have to be ready for it and i was at uh, fort riley kansas with the big red one and uh i i did that three or four times with my wife the exact same thing you know saying goodbye and then finally it was just like you know back then they didn't have you know cell phones and everything so you had to do the calling tree did you guys do that as well like yeah you get a call and you'd have to call the guy that you're supposed to call and you just keep calling down there end up showing up but there was something that you said a while ago i wanted to um kind of touch back touch base on you said that uh when you were walking down the aisle you 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 asked god not to to, to let you down and um i think so many times especially with with men is that they view god the way that their father treated them and you right. know unfortunately for a lot of men it hasn't always been good like you know if you have a heavy-handed right. father you expect god to be heavy-handed every time you sin or if you had a father that let you do anything you think god will let you do anything as well and a, a lot of times we get that backwards and that God is always loving, that God is always just. And um, no matter what I do, yeah, there will be consequences as a Christian. Uh, there's always consequences to your sin, but there's not always judgment to your sin. Uh, and we've got we to gotta realize that. And I think too many men, you know, tend to look at God as they did their, their, their growing up in their childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, or we look at God as a genie, right? Yeah, exactly. God's some kind of genie that, right. that's supposed to grant me my wishes. And when he doesn't grant me my wishes, well, then there is no God. Right. It's like, gosh, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, God, God, you know, God's not, you know, people, God's not a crutch. He's a life support system. Right. And you cannot make it through life without him. Yeah, and exactly. That's what I've come to learn. All that, all that pain I had before, 
you know, all the excuses I had, you know, um, man, it was just incredible. And so mm-hmm. I went out, I went up saying goodbye to Kimbry and we went up then leaving, not on plane. We're going to go by ship, you know, wow. so, uh, out of, out of, out of San Diego. So we have a date, December 1st, we're going to go. So, uh, I wind up saying goodbye to Kimbry. I remember that day, uh, she's touring the ship and then she gets off and, you know, the week before that I was, we were a mess and either she was a mess or I was a mess. Just like the, you know, I'm going to war. I might not see you again. And, and then trying to encourage each other in this fear, right? The fear that was just taking hold of us. And I remember being on the ship saying goodbye. So she's on the dock and I'm at a position on the ship where when a ship leaves a Harbor, uh, for any type of deal, all the sailors and the Marines, they get sit on the bow. They sit around the ship. Right. on the edge of the ship and it's around the whole thing and uh, all the ships go out and then all there's all these old veterans with boats on the harbor and they're cheering American flags and people going crazy and it's a, it's an incredibly motivating patriotic scene mm. and I remember standing there looking at Kimbry and I tell you what man sure enough guys like I I heard the Lord say to me Greg you're going to be okay and oh, for the first time in my life I felt assurance and all that fear that week, just God took it away. And I can't, I can't even explain it. It's just like th- those times in my life when I knew Kimberly was the girl I was supposed to marry. Right. I just knew, like I had this peace, this assurance that I've never felt before. You know, very similar to when I said yes to Jesus about my pain and, and my suffering. Mm. It was the same way there. I felt this assurance. And then uh, I went to the Gulf War and that we stopped in kind of the Reader's Digest on that is, we stopped in Hawaii on the way there, stopped in Philippines. And, uh, I was still working out who I, I started reading the whole new Testament, but I was raw in my faith, uh, and gotten a couple fights, uh, in the Philippines with some guys I was trying to call home and it turned into this, uh, crazy situation. I won't, I won't go down that route hole right now. And, um, and then wound up, uh, uh, going uh, from there from the Philippines, going to the Gulf of Oman, and uh, we did a massive operation called Operation Sea Soldier. With it was the largest operation since the Korean War, mm-hmm. and it was three arm, three armadas of ships and thirty thousand men. We did a beach landing on Oman, and it was that was pretty amazing to be a part of and wow. being in a in a, in a landing craft and and it was super publicized because that was part of the Schwarzkopf right. left hook plan. They wanted to keep regiments on the Kuwaiti on the Kuwaiti beach. Um, so they televised this big beach landing and then, you know, Marines are famous for beach landings. So, uh, I was part of that, that group that was, uh, going to do the fake out and not do a beach landing. But we didn't, we didn't, we didn't even know we were going to do that yet. We didn't uh-huh. know as, as Marines that we were, we weren't going to do that. We just knew we were doing this operation to get ready for it. So we did that operation in Oman and then we, that, uh, this was a couple days before the ground war actually. And so, uh, we make our way up to Saudi Arabia and then we dock in Saudi Arabia and then we unload everyone the day before the ground war. Mm. And, um, and so I was, a uh, I was a, you know, of all things in the Marine Corps, I was an O one. Um, so I was a, I was going to be an O three eleven security forces, which is like embassy guard. Right. Uh, when, when I joined the Marine Corps, but when I was the guide of the platoon, they, the drill instructors came to me like, Hey, Greg, you can pick any MOS you want because you're the guide. And I'm like, okay. 
And I'm like, well, I'm happy with NBC News. He's like, no, you don't want to do that. You know, the, you want to go uh, intelligence or 01 because you can rank up faster, you know, and it's going to be better for your career. You can always go to a specialized soldier unit, you know, later. And I'm like, okay, so you know, I wind up applying for Intel, but I somehow got screwed up and I was an 01. So I was an admin. I was an admin. But what happened was is uh, before we left uh, Camp Pendleton, we had two MUSE, two big groups, go over to the Gulf War already on, on airplanes. So they were there in Saudi Arabia. And we were, I was formed with a third, a third MU. And we, we came from Camp Lejeune. We came from Okinawa. We came, it was the most diverse USMC unit ever put together. And, that, and we all left on the ship. Mm. So we make our way there. And so because of that, I was cross-trained in Intel. I would, and I was cross-trained as a nuclear, biological, chemical warfare map reader based on the agent and based on the temperature and the, and, and the wind direction and the climate. I could tell you what an agent would be in an area and where we'd go to. Right. So I was, I was attached to uh, RLT-5, part of 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines headquarters. And so I was right in the, right in the thick of, I was, in, I was with the unit that was right in it because I had the map reading skills and I would, I would, I would do all the orders. I would have a special, had a, a top secret clearance. And so I would put the skiffs together for confidential secret or top secret mm. billings. And so, and then when I was on ship and then I was NBC trained on ground. So I was a map reader with headquarters, you know, two five. So we go ashore that, that, uh, the night before the, the morning of the ground war. And we, our job is to go clear the Al-Wafar forest. And it's not really a forest, it's a desert, but right. they call it that. <laughs> and, and so we moved as fast as the vehicles could move. And we had an interpreter with us. And uh, we, the mm-hmm. big issue was prisoners of war. We had so many, we had to process so many prisoners of war on our way. And, uh, the you know, it wasn't long before we got control of an area, but we still had to do clearing operations in this forest area because we, there were some units that didn't know the, that the war was really over. Um, and so we had to clear it. And I was with a unit that was, I was in a Humvee with a, with a, a convoy and we were making our way through Alwafar and uh, forest and uh, going through broken up uh, Amtraks with dead bodies and uh, just, clearing, clearing operations. And we got right. some mortar fire at one time. We got some mortar fire at one time. And, um, I was in the back of the convoy and that we were, we were pretty spread apart. And so me and my lieutenant get out and we, we were looking at the map and, uh, we're kind of arguing where we're at. And I'm the map guy, uh, because of my NBC stuff. And, uh, I kind of check fire on where we're supposed to be. And two Cobras and two Apaches come in and just level this side of the, where these guys are, doing mortar fire uh, on us, which was, it was so loud and I'm kind of skipping over just the, how impactful. Right. Exactly. That's all right. How loud loud it was. (laughs) But, um, but, uh, the, and, uh, and so after that, when they, they kind of just lit up this area and then we went and scoped it out and there was just, you know, body parts everywhere where these guys were. and, And, uh, we come back and, and it, we, the next we're there two more days and then, you know, just 700 oil wells burning the, the, the mist of the oil wells just everywhere. And we called it living the suck. And, um, it was just crazy. It was just, just a crazy time and mm. being in combat, like being in the like, best way to describe it. And 
is that I describe it as being in the championship game uh, of any sport that you're playing, and then that feeling you get when you drive by an accident or see something like tragic. Uh, that right. feeling you get, th- those two feelings mixed together, 100 percent of the time, like full adrenaline, full fear, kind of just together. And um, uh, we did that. We had some other uh, our, our our unit as a whole up front had some other encounters and return fire and, and, uh, we would, uh, engage the enemy, but we cleared it within two days. And then it just became about, then we had prisoners of war where we would go, you know, they really, we had a couple guys pass away and being an admin, I did graves and registration as well. Mm. So if someone dies in the unit, you you help process the body. And, and, um, the, the, uh, Iraqis really didn't have a plan to pick up their dead. So right. we would get, we would get prisoners of war, get parties together, and then we would go help them go pick up the dead, which was a, a lot and match body parts and the whole thing. And it just was, those are the images that really are stirred in my mind from, wow. from combat. And so we, uh, we, we complete the, you know, the Iraq war, it was fast. And, but we stay, we're there from, that, I think it was the 24th of March when, or the, the, I can't remember the exact date the ground war started, but we were there till March 6th in country. And the air war started yeah, then, in January, February. January. Yeah. Yeah. And then, February. and then the ground war was, yeah. The, yeah. And the ground war was, uh, like February 20th or right. 24th or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And then it ended like four days later, but we still were in country and I never took my flak jacket off the whole time I was there. Oh, I can like, imagine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Slept under the Hummer. And so we go back on ship and then, um, we are there. We're the, we were the last, since we got there in January, we were the last sitting force. We got there right before the Gulf War started. Uh, we were the last to leave. And so everyone came home and they had celebrations. We were, we were there in the Gulf War, but, uh, sometime in March 15th, I can't remember the exact date. They brought the whole RLT five, uh, that was there on my ship out on the, on the flight deck of the, I was on a, the USS Juno, which is a, it's a well deck ship. It has a well deck and it has a, a helicopter port on the back. So right. can, a Harrier can land, Harrier can land there or helicopters and then they can ballast means put water into the, into the back of the ship and it sinks. The landing craft can come in and out of it. So that's what kind of ship I was on. And so we were all on the flight, this landing pad and, uh, I got combat promoted to corporal because of my actions uh, with the, the lieutenant put me in for combat corporal. Uh, for those, you know, awesome. basically, yeah, checking for fire. And, That's uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah and, uh, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of people that did a lot more than I did, you know, but I, I just was a part of it. So I, uh, we, we uh, so now it's, you know, we're, we're there in the golf area and we all want to go home and it's May time frame now. And uh, it's in the end of April, a, a typhoon, super cyclone, <laughs> hits the country of Bangladesh and um, it kills 150,000 people and a million cattle. Yeah, and so, and we're just getting ready to leave. So we're going back the same way we came on ship and, you know, we're going to stop in the Philippines, stop in Hawaii, and get home. So on the way home, they, they kind of get on the calm and they say, Hey, there's been a typhoon on the way back. We're going to stop and give aid to the Bangladesh people. And, um, you know, we weren't too excited about it at the time, to be honest, because we want to go home. Right. 
But right. then when we, we got there two weeks after that happened and there was 10 miles out, there was brown water. And I, that's just, that's mm. kind of unheard of, yeah. you know, like a couple miles out, you know, you see brown water or a mile out or, you know, but 10 miles out brown water still after two weeks. And then there was, there was, uh, these sandbars like miles out where there'd be family, whole family sitting on like a 10 by 10 spot of sand or some of the sandbars, they were kind of holding up their kids. And then the mom and dad would switch places being in the water because it was like knee high water. Mm. And so it's just, and, it was, and then there, they'd been there for two weeks. And then when we got there and that was just, just tragic. And then we would load up our landing craft and take helicopters and, we took support and aid to the Bangladesh people, but going in the landing craft, going in there, you would see just is like on the shore still two weeks later, bodies and animals and children and, you know, chickens and just all washing on shore, you know, wow, and, uh, it, just, it was, it was just so brutal. And, uh, and just after two weeks, uh, this just the smell and, but, but being there helping the people with the contrast between being in combat getting rid of, you know, the Iraqis who invaded Kuwait and then being there in Bangladesh, you know, um, helping people, you know, it's like the, the saying Marines can be your greatest friends or your worst nightmare. Right. <laughs> so, right. And that, uh, and so we were there helping these people and they were so thankful that they called us angels from the sea. Hmm. So we were there, we were there two weeks helping them, you know, just get life back in order. And it's still, it's like, I think it's in the top, six or seven like typhoons, hurricanes in the world at least in the top 10. Yeah. Yeah. It was horrible. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And so we did that. But then after that we were, you know, uh, it was called, I got a humanitarian service service medal for being a part of that. It was called operation sea angel. That's what they actually called it in the books. Mm. So it's pretty cool that they called it that when, uh, the Bangladesh people were so grateful. And then, so anyway, make it, I make it to Hawaii, make it to Camp Pendleton and, uh, we go get out and go get on our landing craft and make it to uh, Camp Pendleton. And then we get in cattle cars and the you know, actual cattle cars. And they take us to uh, Camp Pendleton air, air station where um, air, all our family and friends are there uh, to welcome us. Mm. And I, I get asked to carry the, 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 the flag, uh, the, Marine, the Marine Corps flag for our unit. So there's 5,000 Marines, man. And That's we're marching awesome. down mar- March. I haven't seen anybody yet. We're marching down the runway and man, we're singing the Marine Corps hymn and dude, it, huh. That's awesome. Uh, it, yeah. it was so powerful. I can't even express to you the feeling of being <laughs> home and, and marching and singing that song. And then we make a right flank into the crowd. That is just a sea of people going crazy. And then we, 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 we all get information and there's a CEO saying some final words to everybody. I can't even hear what he's saying. I just want to be done. Right. But I'm curious. I, I have this flag harness and this flag with me. I'm holding it. And then I just remember sitting there flashing back to the time when I left on the ship and that assurance that God gave me. Mm. And then at that moment, just a flashback of everything that happened, happened to me on that, on that war float and then in country in Kuwait. And then, just boom, then I'm back here. I'm alive and I'm going to see Kimberly. Then they yell dismissed and I get to see Kimberly and I hug her. It's like in a movie, you know, like pull her around and kiss her and just like, I can't believe I'm home. And then kind of fast forward and a couple weeks later, we're in marriage counseling 
And I remember Dan Pantano, the pastor, he's like, Hey, I don't care what you've done before, but from this moment forward, I want you to commit your lives to your, your, you know, to, to be sexually pure before your wedding day. And I was ready at that time. You know, that kid, that guy who was making fun of it just a year before, right? you know, now I'm like, I was, I read the new Testament over in the Gulf war and God had been moving in my heart and life. And I was ready for that commitment. And, uh, so that was, uh, gosh, that was Ju- July of 91 now, and, uh, no, July of 90. And we were going to get married in February. So seven months, you know, uh, we made a commitment and, yeah, and we made it. And then I remember in that same meeting, Dan's like, Hey Greg, why don't you come be a counselor if I can't, you know? And I'm like, dude, there's no way. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know enough with the Bible. I might cuss at the kids, man. There's no way. He's like, and he goes, get off the he goes, shed. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, he, and it's so funny. Cause he goes, Hey Greg, the only reason any of us are worthy is because of the blood of Jesus. So mm. why don't you come? And I did, I came in and I, they stuck me. It was the church of the Nazarene. And it was like the Southern California, I was, I can't remember what it was called, the uh, Anaheim District, uh, I can't remember what it was, the uh, LA District uh, Church of the Nazarene Camp. And um, and so I went and they stuck me with all these inner city kids from Long Beach and Maywood and Compton. And, you know, so here's this white boy with all these Hispanic and black kids, you know, and, and uh, I, I'm still in the Marine Corps. And so I got my Marine Corps pack and, they heard I was a combat veteran and they stuck with my eyes open, all these lies that, you know, right. all these myths. Right. And, like, and, um, but I ran that, I ran that, I ran that cabin. They were flowing some serious attitude. Right. And I, I ran that sucker like a platoon. I put a, <laughs> I put a guy, I put a guy, a platoon leader in charge. And if they messed up, I'd pull them out. We we're doing jumping jacks and, you know, snow, dirt angels and the same in the dirt. And I would have them walk around trees. And I, it was just, you know, I didn't, I'm just laughing because I knew nothing, right? I'm just like, I never went to camp as a kid. That's I had no great. concept of it. So I just get, you know, learning as I go. And um, I remember that uh, they, there was this black kid and white kid um, that would kind of, they would throw ra- ra- racist remarks to each other. And then I remember I was coming back and I told them to knock it off. And, and I remember I was coming back from like a counselor meeting and these kids are fighting and then just fully just like, you know, all the, you know, with white kids saying the racist words and the, and the black, black kids saying them cast for what, you know, all this stuff. And just, and I remember I'm like, they're junior hires, right? Like, you know, seventh, eighth graders. I remember picking them up by the back of the back of the shirt, like running as fast as I can to the cabin, keep up with me. Right. And I get them to the side of the cabin and I pick them up and I throw them against the cabin. And I'm like, enough of this racist crap. Mm. You know, you know, we're, we're here to serve Jesus. You know, like I'm just laughing at it. And like they're they're at bug eyes, right? Here's Counselor Monk, like <laughs> throwing these kids up against the wall, and and like you know we're here to this is it's not the place where there's racist crap. We're here for Jesus, you know. And I put yeah. it down. And like next time, like next time you fight, you have to fight me. And you know I don't know. I I'm just I'm I'm doing the best I can, right? And so I'm laughing because you know those kids became friends, right? Those right. two men became friends, and. My cabin, man, it was the greatest week of my life, man. Mm. I just get emotional thinking about it because you know what? Their problem was my problem. We right. all had the same problem. Right. They had fathers at home or mothers that were dysfunctional. Wow. They were addicted. They were alcoholics. They were drug addicts. And it didn't matter our, our race. It didn't matter our where we, our, you know, addiction doesn't care about what race you are or what, how much money you have 
or how well off you are, or how poor you are. It kills everything in its path. Mm. And it just, and, and it destroys. And so that was our common bond, our brokenness, our trauma. And, and I got to share. And I remember Dan, he goes, Hey, will you give your testimony, Greg? And I'm like, dude, like, come on, man. Like I, <laughs> I'm, I don't, he said, no, just tell your story. Just talk to them. Like you would talk to me. And I'm like, okay. And so, you know, I remember it was the junior hires and I'm telling them my story. Like I'm telling you guys, you know, like some of the things that happened to me as a kid and, it just, you should, uh, you could, you know, I even said the S word, I think, you know, but you could hear, you know, how junior hires can be. Right. Exactly. You know, yeah. They were, they make were, you, they, they were, make you want to they were laughing, <laughs> they were laughing there, but that just, they were laughing. They weren't moving around. Right. They were talking to each other. Like they were just like, you know, listening what was going on. And I remember telling them, I'm like, Hey, can you pray for me? Because I hate my father and I don't know where he is right now. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. At that time he was in jail. I kind of skipped over that. My dad ultimately wound up doing six years in jail. Wow. So, so he was in jail at the time. And, uh, and so I remember telling him like, I know, can you pray for me? Because I have I'm having a hard time forgiving my father, but I know through Jesus that I'll be able to forget my dad. And, um, and so I, I go to that camp. The kids are calling me all, all year long. Can you be my counselor again? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. And I feel this call to youth ministry. And so, uh, I, Look, my buddy asked me to <clears throat> do a Wednesday night Bible study at a church, this church of the Nazarene in Garden Grove. And I said yes to it. And, um, and there's like six kids there. And he goes, just, t- just put in this video and then ask, and then tell them your story. <laughs> 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 kind of like that, like total on the fly ministry. And then I do that. And then I have a blast. He's like, Hey, will you do it next week? And I come back and I do it next week. And then, like a month later, the guys, the pastor meets with me and goes, Hey, I, the kids really like you. And would you mind doing this every Wednesday? And then can you do, can you lead Sunday school on Sundays too? And, and I'm like, sure. And so I just kind of, I just say yes. Like, I don't know anything. Right? right. And I just, I just kind of say yes and make myself available. And then God starts, you know, working in me. And then, uh, he, and then he goes, Hey, you know, uh, I start getting into ministry. I won't go down another story, but, um, then my dad uh, gets out of, my dad does a two year, he gets a uh, six year sentence. And because it's not, uh, nothing was a, a felon, not, not, it was a violent, it wasn't a violent crimes. He, uh, good behavior got out in two years. Okay. Oh, good. And so, yeah. And so he, he was out, um, by camp that next year. Right. And, and so he, and so, um, but what's funny, my mom calls me up. Uh, in that, that spring and he calls me up. My mom calls me up and goes, Hey, can you go pick up your dad? And I go, can you ask one of the other boys? And they, no, they won't pick him up. Then you pick him up. And then mm. can you just do it for me? You know, my mom's like, just do it for me, please. And so I'm like, all right, mom. So I drive down to, he's an out, he served time in Orange County jail, part of his sentence. Cause he had crimes. He had stuff in both felonies in both. So then he was down at El Cajon jail. And so I go down to El Cajon, pick him up. And, uh, pick him up and then, uh, we're driving back and I'm really not excited about it. You know, I still, I don't trust my dad. I don't have a relationship with my dad. You know, I'm not really happy to see him and I'm really angry about all the issues he caused my family. But, you know, I have this beautiful girl who encourages me to think the best about people and, and then it's new faith. And so we're driving back and then my dad goes, Hey, I, I, I committed my life to Christ in jail. 
You know, and I'm like, yeah, and then I'm like, <laughs> but you know, because of my past right. with him, right? Because we went to church that one time. I didn't believe it, right? No, I'm like, okay, crap. dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Like, there's no way. Like, I'll be the on. judge of that. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, totally. And so he, um, and so, uh, but sure enough, we start talking. He goes, hey, I, I, he got a job at like uh, being the night manager at a motel in Santa Ana, you know, right back where he was. And I, I thought for sure, like, there, I mean, I can't tell you how many times this guy tried to get sober, right? And, right. And, and so I, I just thought for sure he was going to go back. And then, but sure enough, you know, six months, he's sober. A year, he's sober. And then about two years in, we start meeting. We start wow. uh, talking and going to lunch. And then I would sit there and go, Dad, why would you let me do cocaine with you? And, <laughs> and, then, and he would just, and he would just cry and just weep and say, I'm so sorry, Greg, would you forgive me? And I was just, uh, and then, and oh, I go, and I would, he did and I would find go, hey, Jesus after all. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. And so, but you know, and then he would, and then he would go, I'd say, Hey, that one day, you know, you know, uh, Joe was there protecting the family and like the shotgun went to my head and he's like, and, and he, did you know that happened? He's like, yeah, he told me. And you know, I just, I thought you were so brave. And like, we just weep and like realize the totality of all his stuff. And like, you remember that one time I get the birthdays that, so we spent like a, another year, a two year process of us just kind of meeting and gradually I started to have love for my dad again. Yeah, just mending those wounds. Yeah. Dang, that just oh gave my God. And I just, that just oh, gave me chills. I, and I mm. started to, to love my dad. And sure enough, man, he was a different person and he was in recovery and it just was, it, and it just was insane. And he wasn't going back. And then, then he started sponsoring guys and he started mm. speaking at AA events and he started speaking at, I think, and then we would give a testimony together, you know, wow. uh, uh, talking about, we did it like third person. There once was a boy and I share all the things I kind of share with you. There once was a, a, da a dad who did this and this and this. And then we kind of would meet right in the testimony. We kind of would meet in the middle. And, um, mm. it just was a, it was a tremendous, it's just, I, I can't believe, you know, what happened there. And then, uh, Kimberly and I, uh, get married and, uh, we, and my mom, uh, after two years of being, uh, after two years of him being home, my dad feels he's in a spot where his, he's strong enough to bring my mom home. They, they get a place in the Lisa VA home. My mom comes back from Ohio. They're, they're together and they're, they're still together. I would say they're still together, but my mom just passed away in March. So oh, um, I'm sorry to yeah, hear that. Yeah. Oh. And then my dad was, my dad was sick in the hospital for eight months and almost died too. But anyway, so, but anyway, they, they were together mm. till just, you know, till my mom's passing and, uh, it's just a miracle. And then, you know, I have, and then I, uh, I start having children and I get out of the Marine Corps and I get a job at Key Logic Corporation, this great semiconductor job. And I first worked for a friend, but then I get a job at the semiconductor company and I become the Asia Pacific regional manager doing really well. Then I start that Garden Grove Church. I become the youth pastor at that church. I then at camp, I start every year. First, I'm a counselor and then I start doing fun time. And then, then I'm a speaker one year. Then, and then I'm doing athletics. And then I become the director of that camp at wow. that Nazarene camp. And it's just, and then I start going to Bible school at night and just this, like I'm, my family's growing. I'm, I'm in doing uh, semiconductor sales for this company called Key Logic. I'm God's providing in just incredible ways. And then, 
I, uh, I get an opportunity to go to full-time ministry. Um, it's a long story, but wow. a guy I met, um, at a thing I met, uh, my, my dad and I took, my dad took me to a, we're going to promise keeper. So like my mom comes back, my brother Rob gets saved. My brother Derek gets saved at, uh, at celebrate recovery. And so my whole family becomes Christian, you know, Holy and, cow, and this, bro- this broken awesome. family, you have this broken family who's that. And then, uh, it's just incredible what God does. And I start, and then, uh, we were going to promise keepers as, as, as sons and a dad, but one year they weren't meeting. And so my dad goes, Hey, let's go to this, my, this men's retreat. And the guy who was speaking, his name was JP Jones. And he said in that message, he goes, Hey, all of us need to have a Timothy and a Paul, you know, right. Timothy's that were, that were, that were mentoring. And then I had a bunch of Timothy's cause I was in youth ministry and then we all need Paul's. And I didn't really have a lot of Paul's. I had some, like I had some friends that were farther along in the journey that were like a Paul to me, but we're more, we're, we're counterparts and, and they would build, we build into each other, but I really didn't have a Paul. And I wrote JP's name down of someone who I thought I met him. He was like, he played football like me. He was a jock and he, uh, he was an adjunct professor at Biola and, just kind of a real guy. And I thought that's a guy I think I could, I would, so I wrote his name down and I do a year of ministry. I've, I've been doing ministry four years now at garden Grove. Then I do four years at, uh, this place called Santa, Rancho Santa Margarita at another church called the family church. Mm-hmm. And God's shaping me. I've gone to, I get my BA in biblical studies and, and I'm doing really well at Q logic, making really good money at doing, as a re, Asia Pacific regional manager God's just blessing me on all the fronts. And then I, uh, I start, I want to take a break from youth ministry because I'm doing, I have five kids. I have two logic and minute, all my free time has been for ministry and I wanted to take a break. And so we start going to this coast, uh, coast Hills church where my dad's going to now. And that guy JP's at, and he knows my background in ministry and asked me to do this event paintball event or something like that for men's ministry. Right. And I do it, I do it. And then all of a sudden Kimberly and I were going to go, I've been to Japan now, like, you know, that was over a 10 year period, like 50 times. Wow. And Kimberly was going, going, going with me for the first time. And, um, and JP meets with me at like a Barnes and Noble here at Elisa Viejo and goes, Hey Greg, I've been, I, I, I know your ministry background and I, you know, you know, we're looking for this associate pastor of men's ministries and it's a big church. You know, I was at a small Nazarene church. This is a big church. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, there's no way I, like they're interested in me and yeah, I get somebody from a bigger church to fill that role. Right. Right. And so, and then, um, JP goes, uh, no, I want you to come on as an associate men's pastor and what would it take to do that? And it was so funny because at that time, it's a big church and they offered me 65,000, you know, wow. dollars. It's funny that, that that's a really good, that's good money. For yeah, heck California. Yeah. yeah, it's good money. But I was making, you know, that year I made 150 in commission, 150 in sales. I was making $300,000 a year right. doing semiconductors. And so I'm like, Oh man, you know, and I remember he asked me that and I just start crying. I start I'm just in tears because I'm like, you, you know, you got the wrong guy, JP, you know, I'm so wrong, you know, like, and then he's like, no, I want you. But Kimberly and I, I say that all that Kimberly and I fly to Japan. And I remember we took a day, we were there two weeks together. She was with me and I got to show her what I do there. And we're in a hotel room for half a morning and we get a poster board and we write like all the good, all the good things. And 
you know, all the, the positive things and, and all the reasons why we, we, we do this decision of should we go, I go in full-time ministry and I write all these positive things. There's so many, you know, time with family, you know, minister, just like the list went on and on. Like it was like 20 deep and there was one on the negative and it was financial. Mm. Right. And, and I remember looking at that and knowing that God called me to full-time ministry. And so we decided there on that trip and if Kimberly wasn't for it, you know, I mean, I could have gone, I was a tent maker my whole time in youth ministry. I could have stayed a tent maker helping them out, but I knew that God was calling me to full-time ministry. And so I said, yes. And I remember like my boss was a, he was a believer at Q-Logic. He's like, are you sure, Greg? Like, <laughs> my, 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 my best friends, my best friends that are believers, they're like, that's a, yeah, you that's have a really good job. Man. Right. And I did, I get to, I had a great job. They're like, are you sure you want to do that? And I'm like, gosh. And then I'm, I, I have big faith, but I always have regret. Like when I'm a few months in, right. you know, like right, I, have, exactly. I have buyer's remorse. Like I'm, was this the right decision? Well, I'm sitting so, here. Anyway, I'm sitting here listening. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure God's calling me to sell semiconductors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, sales is what I do. Yeah. I feel the That's Holy so Spirit funny. leaning me in that direction. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll DM. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it was just. I had. It, it was just was crazy. And so, but even like to, to be at that spot to make that decision, right? And then God, I just knew. I just knew. So, and then it took me. Long story short, so I started there in at, at Coast Hills Church with JP um, in October of '01, and then and then I go uh, and then I go to uh, it was '01, and then about a year about a year later, I'm still you know I'm trying to replace myself, and I have to I have to replace myself with four people, like two for distribution side and two for the OEM side. So it, I don't really get technical on that, but. I wind up staying two more years, you know, um, there. So it wasn't until July of 2003, I finally said to Key Logic, you know, I have to go. And then they, they gave me six months severance. They were super gracious. They, nice they, they were fully, fully supportive. You know, this a fortune 500 company being like that, it's not always the case. And they, they really didn't want to lose me. And it, it was, and then, but July of 03, I, I went to full-time ministry and then JP and I was there. That was Oh three. And then in 05, there was some changes at, at, at Coast Hills. And then JP and I left and we started Crossline Church in February of 05. And we met at a high school uh, here. And uh, now, um, gosh, we moved to a campus five years later of a church that uh, was dwindling. And then we took over the campus. It's a 30-acre campus with a lake and five buildings. We took, it over to, yeah, we took it over to Lease and then it became our church. So we have a church of about... about there's about 1200 or 1400 on a Sunday that come to our church and it's uh, now it's, and then, so I'm the, I was the executive pastor. He's a senior pastor. Now I'm the lead pastor and he's a senior pastor and it's just, and I had five kids and I got, it's just crazy. That's a whole nother story. I don't, Whoa, I don't know. Praise God, yeah, brother. Yeah. Yeah. My, my son is an actor. You might, if you have kids, you might know the show iCarly. Yeah. My son was, was Gibby on iCarly. And so, no yeah, yeah, and so that's a whole. You get, I guess, another topic we could talk about one day. But being my son, uh, Gibby on iCarly, and my youngest was on the show. He was Guppy, and he was on that for seven years, and then he just uh, was on the Goldbergs for the past ten years. My son Noah, Noah Monk, yeah. And so, wow, dude, I, uh, what a blessed yeah, life, man. Yeah, it's, so it's crazy. And then you know, now it's like I have a church, and then you know, for the past. 
for the, and then I just would be telling all these stories that I've kind of, some of what I told you, I've been telling you stories, speaking at men's retreats and on a Sunday, I would tell these stories. And then my daughter, Taylor is like, yeah, you should write all these stories down. Mm. And like, you know what? And so I started writing all these stories down and uh, just what I told you, you know, so that's the survivor part, the war fighting and the peacemaking, just what wow. God's done in my life. And it, it, the book, the guide was a result. I started writing it in 2020 and you know, it's just been amazing that journey. But in that journey, it's funny. Like I, I wasn't really part of the vet. I was a combat veteran, but never a part of the veteran community. Right. And so writing the book and just recently last year really gave me a heart to step into this fight, this suicide epidemic that we have amongst our active duty Amen. and veteran community. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so God has equipped me with, you know, I've been in ministry all this time, but now I'm starting just, I, I, I work with a, a group called SOF missions. I'm the West coast ambassador where we recommend, I went to this clinic. It's a five day clinic for veterans and it's paid for completely. You fly out to Florida and Tampa and they, right. it's a, they do psychological, physical, uh, spiritual and social. And it's a Christian group, but they, it's a, they do a clinic every month and it, they get 10 veterans at a time and they pay for everything. And it's, it was life changing. It was amazing. And then the thing I was realizing is of all my, of all the things I've been telling you, I really didn't have any battle buddies in my life that I would share my combat issues with. Right. And, uh, and I, and, uh, I just didn't do it. And, uh, I went to that clinic and I, I, I can't believe I did. I missed the camaraderie so much, you know, like just that, instant bond you have when you talk to somebody that's been in the crap, you know, it's right. been in the thick of it. Yeah. And I, and I really didn't have friends in my life, you know, battle buddies in my life, uh, until, until recently, you know, now I'm part of the Marine Corps league, which is like a, you know, a, a American Legion kind of deal. And I'm, I'm speaking at Camp Pendleton. Uh, I go, I go to Camp Pendleton once a month and I'm working with veterans. And I rec now I recommend, uh, people to this clinic. So if you, any, any, any listeners that are veterans, if you want to, if you want to, you probably are like me, you don't think you deserve it. And you, but go, go to the clinic and it's covered everything. They cover your flight, they cover the clinic, the food, mm. your stay, and they provide care for you. And it's amazing. And so, uh, it's yeah. called SOF missions and you can reach out to me and I can get you connected. So. And you can yeah. reach Greg at uh, gregmonk.net, and that's M-U-N-C-K, Monk. Um, yeah. You can check out his – it's at the – matter of fact, it's at the bottom of his website, and you can uh, contact him if you need more information on that. It's a it's a really good program. We um, um, we work – we're actually doing some, some – um, uh, praying and some searching right now to to start something uh, here in the St. Louis area. So we're oh, wow. yeah, we, I've got a I've got a guy who has it on his heart to do like a, a equestrian um, veterinarian kind of uh, not veterinarian yeah. veteran. Um, yeah. uh, uh, what does he call? I, I keep forgetting what he calls it. It's almost like a. It's almost like just 
Equine, equine care. Equine, yeah, equine care. Yeah, exactly. There you yeah. go. You said it's equestrian a, for, what, for what horses. I say, yeah, yeah, it's for horses. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then they work with. The so vets. they work with the horses, and the the vets work with the the horses, and it's just kind of a calming effect that happens with them. And so there's uh, a, yeah, there's a foundation uh, in California that does that. that right. There, yeah, there's, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, there's a bunch of them, but uh, we're yeah. really looking forward to doing that too. Um, yeah, and uh, the, the, it's awesome. the SOS uh, would be a great program for a lot of people, like you said, especially for those who, you know, unfortunately, the, the PTSD and the, the things that a lot of these guys are going through um, is not is not um, diagnosed early enough. Uh, and they, right. they think that they can work through it. Most of them end up working through it with alcohol and drugs and pills and everything else and uh guys there's there's so much more help out there and it doesn't mean that you're less than uh it just means that you just need help and there's help out there to oh, be had. so true man i guess i that's my story you know i i when i got back from the gulf war i had kimberly mm-hmm. and and then and then i had i had this new relationship with jesus right it was this right. new thing but and so but still i did what a lot of us do i i just I never went back. I never talked to anybody I served with. I didn't get never didn't have a tattoo, didn't have a sticker on my car, never talked about what I did. I never it just wasn't a part of my existence. Right. I just I because I didn't want to lean into it. And so years later when I was starting to leak a little bit, even as a man of God, I realized, oh man, there's some stuff I need to deal with. I and mean, then I need to I need to process and it wasn't really to this year when I went to that clinic that I realized, you know, that there's things that I you know, I need guys in my life to help process the things I went through and not just bury them, you right. know? And yeah, exactly. God, 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 God is a, can take away all sin and pain, you know? And, but it's, it, it is, there's also a time for us to talk about the things we went through and, Shoot, yeah. and, 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 and lean into it and not bury it. You know? Right. Do you so. know Jeremy Stalnecker? No, I do not. Okay. Know He's out no. of California too. Yeah. He does, he does, uh, they have 32 camps, uh, throughout the United States and it's, it's, um, uh, it's no cost to the veterans. And so, um, they triage them as they come in. And if there's a camp going on that weekend, uh, they pick them up wherever they are, fly them out there and put them in the camp. So there's, uh, uh that's, that's awesome. Man. There's a lot of good help out there, guys. So if you're listening to yeah. this, so make sure that you check out Greg's, uh, website, gregmonk.net, uh, to, to check that out. He also has his book on there. Uh, which is called The Guide, Survival, Warfighting, and Peacemaking. And you can also, I'm assuming, is that on Amazon as well? Yep, Amazon. I have, a, I have an audio, audio book, too, that's in my voice. And that right. just came out a couple weeks ago, and it's doing really well. Yeah, yeah you, got a, you got a good voice, too. That would work perfect for that, uh, the, the, the audio book. Yeah. That's good. So, well, man, uh, you've got all your social media on there as well. Uh, and we'll tag people, uh, with that, with all of our social media posts and stuff, uh, for yep. you. And, uh, uh, what an amazing story, uh, Greg. I pray that God just continues to use you, uh, mightily and, and continues to just, uh, grow your church. And, and this book just flies off the shelves that, uh, they can't even keep it in stock that, uh, it's just reaching more and more men who, uh, need to, uh, to really just, uh, you know, hear the story of people who've gone through what you have and you had an opportunity to uh, find Jesus and you took it and uh, God has used you mightily in that. I think a lot of a, a lot of men need to hear that kind of story because I think t- too many of us uh, like to use our excuses 
right. to, to stay where we are instead of saying, listen, yep. there is a better way. And uh, his name is Jesus. Amen. Amen, man. So, and I appreciate, I appreciate you guys doing this, this podcast. I love the name man up because, <laughs> you know, because in our society, you know, the culture wants to, wants to sideline men and yes. masculinity. And, and it's, uh, you know, and then we need to, you know, we need strong men, you yes. know, we need men, men who are dangerous with goodness, you Amen. know, and yeah, you stand up for stuff. So I, I applaud what you guys are doing. And, um, if God can use me, he can use anybody. Yeah, amen. Amen. Isn't that the <laughs> truth? Isn't that the truth? Yeah, well, well, brother it has been a blessing, uh, to have you on here. I pray that God, uh, cross our, cross our paths again. And, uh, that we can, uh, maybe we have you come out here and speak, and maybe you have me come out there and speak. I do men's conferences as well, and I've uh, got a couple, actually four books that uh, people can find on our website as well. So we'd love to oh, awesome. love, love to partner with you, brother. So yeah, God bless, me man. Too. And uh, it's God. been a pleasure. Tell your uh, wife, thank you so much for letting us have you for a couple hours, and um, we'll be praying for you. Hey, God bless you guys. All man. right. Uh, Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it so much. Thank yeah. you. God bless, brother. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Man Up God's Way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at manupgodsway.org. 